Somebody said, Amen. Amen. We are talking this morning about an upside to the world. How do you upside the world? To flip the world upside down. Upside the world. Part of our story through Acts, our journey through Acts. Has anyone ever told you or accused you of being in your own little world? I will confess I was that kid. Always in my own, I was an only child, so it was real easy to be in your own little world as an only child. But how many people like being home and not in the craziness of life in your own little world? Yeah, you got your sweatpants on and your coffee and you're just sitting there, you know. Uh, it's in the craziness of life, it's kind of nice sometimes to be home in your own little world. And maybe you were that person or uh, in school like I was, you were the daydreamer or you're, maybe somebody's ever come to you say, maybe where are you at? You're just on cloud nine or something. You're out there. Uh, you're lost. He's not with us. Hello, hello. You're, maybe husbands, your wife is always, you know, kind of, hey, where are you at? I'm talking to you. You're, you're off in somewhere else. Uh, it's kind of easy in life, as busy as it is, to be off in your own little world, off to yourself in a bubble. And uh, like I said, the crazier the world gets, it's nice to be home with your family, to retreat into your own little world with your own little family and your own little uh, life, and to find that little calm or peace. But there's a problem uh, with a little bit too much of that. Uh, if we're always a person or a family that's off in our own little world, you can get preoccupied with that own little world. You can stop affecting the world around you. You can become bystanders and lose sight of what's going on, other people's needs, other people's interests. You can even start to have a different expectation on life and even a different view of reality. And Christ's followers are called to be world changers, history makers. We are called to affect the world around us. Somebody say amen. That's what we're called to do. And why? It's because when God's kingdom comes into a person and a person discovers it and like the parable says, sells all they have to attain it. They go all in to get God's kingdom and they bring that kingdom home to their family and then that family goes into their community. It is impossible, it's impossible that they will not change the world. They will change and flip their community upside down. If a part of you have a long legacy of family members who are not saved, and you and your family and your household get saved, and you bring that to Christmas, it's going to be different. If you bring it to your Thanksgiving services and your, your families, if you bring it to family reunions, there's going to be something different about your family in the midst of your unsaved family. How many of that's true? There's a difference. There's something that is real. It's tangible. There's something different about you. Every born-again believer is filled with the power of God and called to go into the world and preach the gospel, Jesus said, to make disciples of every nation. And when the early church did this, it didn't just change their whole family. It didn't just change some cities. But within a few hundred years, the kingdom of God in just 120 people changed the entire Roman Empire. I want you to kind of fathom that for a minute. Within 300 years, the Roman government converted to Christianity. I mean, they had reached the known world because a few families allowed the kingdom of God to turn the world upside down. What would that do? What would that look like if we were doing that here today? The kingdom of God permeated their personal life, their family life, their social life, their political life. It changed their religious views, their economic views, their political views. It was revolutionary because why? It wasn't a man thing. It was the power of God being made manifest in men and women. It was the power of God 
that was manifest in men and women. The kingdom of God is meant to turn our world right side up. That's what I want to talk to you this morning about. Acts 17, verse 1, the kingdom is meant to turn your world right side up. We're about to be, we're following Paul and Silas. We've just left Philippi, and we've gotten in the second missionary journey. We've made it to uh, Thessalonica, all right, where we would later see the, the books, uh, the epistles to the first and second Thessalonians, all right? So we're in, in the capital of Greece, in the capital of Macedonia, and this is uh, one of the largest cities. It's only rivaled by Corinth and business and trade, and Paul and Silas are here. So look in verse 1. Now, when they passed through these cities, okay, they came to Thessalonica, okay, and there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from scriptures. He explained and he proved that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ, the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few even of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And that's the ESV. These men who've turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. And all the people and city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they'd taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. For three weeks, Paul has reasoned. He's explained the gospel. He says there's a Jesus, and all these Old Testament prophecies have confirmed it of his birth, his life, his holy life, his death, his resurrection, and his second coming. And then he confirmed all these prophecies about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the promise that's for you and for all your children. And he gave testimony about all these Gentiles who'd received the Holy Spirit by faith and what God was doing around the world and how many people saw Jesus raised from the dead and how he'd appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And he gave great proof, great proof, and it says a lot of people began to convert, specifically some Gentiles, specifically some leading women, some rich ladies, okay, in the town. This gospel, though, began to change everything. It was changing their religious, their social, their political beliefs, and all that in the ancient world so woven together, like your family and your God and your politics was all kind of way more together than we are. And as it began to permeate into society, they said, these men have turned the world upside down. Some of your uh, translations say disturbed or, or flipped, or it might say uh, rattled, okay? Like, it's, it, that's what that Greek word means. It means that they've, they've made a revolution. They've become agitators. They have, they've shaken up the status quo. What's the status quo? The status quo in any society is that what is the, the standard form of religion and politics and economy, the way people think? It's shaken how we do life. It's shaken how we do society. He says, these guys have disturbed the way we feel we want our own little world to be. Jesus ever done that for you? When he came into your life, did he disturb your own little world, kind of shake up your life a little bit, change the way you view about life, change the way how you want to spend your money, how you want to spend your time, how you used to do and think? He comes in and he changes the world. He says, these guys, they're a threat to the little world we've made. And just like that, they begin to charge them with sedition and agitating of the people. They flipped the world 
upside down. They change the status quo. You know, if you want to offend somebody, there's three things you can talk about. Ready? God, family, politics, right? You want to just tick somebody off. Just start talking God, family, or politics. And that's what happened. They began to talk about what Jesus' kingdom does and who He is and demonstrate it. And it turned the world of God, family, and politics upside down. Now watch this. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, the world is actually upside down already. You know that? And God's kingdom has not come. These men were lying, and they didn't know what they were talking about. They're like, they're turning our world upside down. But really what they were doing is turning the world right side up. God's kingdom has come to turn the world as it's supposed to be, right side up. And as God's kingdom permeates your life and my life, does it come into every area, every sphere of society? Does it change the status quo of how I deal with religious life, my own personal religious life? Does it change the status quo of my religious life? Does it change the status quo of my family's life, how we parent, how I think about being mom and dad and kids? Does it change the, how we spend our money and time, how we value different things? Does it come in and flip my world right side up on how I interact with society, how I vote, how I think, what I view. The kingdom of God is meant to shake up your world. Amen. Let's look at those three areas. The first one is religion. If the first Christians lived like us, would they ever have been convicted of flipping the world upside down? I thought about that this week, and I'm like, I don't know, God. If the first Christians lived like we do, if the first Christians did what Sanctuary Family Worship Center does right now, how we live life, how we view, how we do, how we invade the kingdom of God into the world, would they, would we be accused of flipping our world upside down? Would you be accused of flipping your workplace upside down, your school upside down, your family? Would you be accused of flipping it upside down for Jesus? Has the kingdom of God permeated every sphere of my life? And do I have influence around me? The first sphere that it influenced was religious. He's preaching Jesus. He's telling them about the good news. They receive it. First Thessalonians 2.13 says, They received the word of God as not from a man, but as from God, and it changed them. Paul says, well, that day I came there, you didn't just think there was some religious thing, like some dude was talking about some new philosophy or some denominational thing. You received it as God was doing something. And when God came in your life, it changed you. And then it did something in the city that you live in. And so he preached Jesus, and that's what happened. But there was some je jealous Jews. Say that a couple times fast. Jealous Jews. And they were eager for a following. And when people started following the apostles, they got jealous it's like when Jesus said, you're whitewashed tombs. You look the part, but on the inside you're dead and unclean. And so what are they? They compromise. This is kind of ironic. They compromise. They're like, we're holy. You know, we're religious. But we don't like what you're doing. So what do they do? They go to the bars, and they go find, it says, wicked rabble or evil men to do their dirty work for them. We can't really do that because we're holy, but we can find a loophole in our religion and get what we want to get, get done. And so let's go find some agitators. Notice they were accusing them of being agitators. What they do? They go find some real agitators, and they started a riot. You know religion loves loopholes? Religion loves to find where the line is and get as close to the line as I can, and then if I don't know how to get what I want, I'll find a loophole. I remember growing up with some friends that uh, now are not religious, but at that time that I knew them, they were religious, and they couldn't have a, a colored TV, but they could have a black and white TV. How many know what I'm talking about? It's like... I don't understand. 
It's the same picture. Well, we can't have a color TV. That's religion because you're finding the line and getting as close to it as you can to get what you want. Religion is all about do's and don't do's. Religion is all about how to measure and value how good or how not good you are. Religion is all about the outside, the whitewashed tombs. It doesn't really measure what's on the inside, though. You can be all kinds of things on the outside, but on the inside, how are you really? Are you turning your world upside down for Jesus? And this, he says, this is religion. This was religion. Paul said later, he said, this is the kind of stuff that holds to a form of godliness, but has no real power. Man, it has the outer appearance of good things, but you're willing to go to the bar to find real agitators to get what you want to get me out of town. You're willing to compromise your own morality to get what you want because all you actually have is religion. You have the outer appearance of something holy, but you've got no real power to change your sin nature. And so religion is that. It's the status quo. Man can do it. It's about comparing and contrasting, measuring and minimizing others, judging and shaming, elevating someone by their works and their dress code and their outward appearance. It makes you feel good because you just do enough. Religion loves to just do enough. Religion never goes the extra mile. It's always about, well, at least I did this, or at least I'm not doing that, or at least I don't do that anymore. Religion never sets its eyes on Jesus and runs that race set before you and lays everything else out and says, I am never going to stop chasing after what's been chasing me. I'm going to go for the distance. And it's not about rules and regulations. See, religion is when 84% of Louisiana says, I'm a Christian and I'm saved. But the same statistic says, while 84 says, I'm a Christian in Louisiana, 69%, only 69% believe in hell. And I'm thinking, how can, wait a minute, 84% of Louisianans say, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. But only 69% of them believe there is a hell. There's a problem there in my math that doesn't really compute because that's just religion. You don't understand. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. When Nicodemus wants to know the qualifications, he's a religious man, what did Jesus say? No one, no one unless you are born again can see the kingdom of God. It means that you have to be born by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul would say, uh, when, or sorry, Jesus later on said, it's like the wind that it blows through the trees. You can't see where it comes from or where it's going, but you can see the effects of it. It's when the Holy Spirit's moving on your life, we can see the effects of it. It's not measuring how much the wind is blowing or where it's come from. It's that the Holy Spirit is moving in your life. Something's changed if you've got Jesus. It's affected you. Something alive has come on the inside. The old things pass away new things come in. You leave all that aside. You run the race for Jesus. You sell out everything to buy the field. You go all in. And then the Holy Spirit every day, every day is filling you and filling you. Remember what Paul said, don't be drunk with the things of this world, but be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a renewal every day. Holy Spirit, are you moving on my life? It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time baptism. It's not a one-time salvation. It is every day I am relying on the Holy Spirit to keep this thing alive on the inside of me. Christianity is born and moved by the Spirit. It's new life. It's a relationship with the life of God. And when the disciples say, well, God, wait, 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 but who's the greatest? Now, we've got to measure things here. Who's going to sit close to you? He says, unless you're converted and like a little child, you're never going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Religion is looking for the external measure. Who's closest to the pastor? Who serves the most at church? Who does the greatest thing? Who gives the most money? But God's kingdom, it's humility and faith. It's servanthood. It's dependency on God. He says, blessed are the 
poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. It's humbling myself to serve other people, even if I don't like them. It's humbling myself to shut my mouth, even if I want to say a word and defend myself. It's dying to myself to love my wife and love my kids and love my church and love my community. Even if I never get accolades, even if no one ever likes me or even gives me an attaboy, I will die to self to serve and glorify Jesus Christ. That's religion. I mean, that's relationship with Jesus. Religion says, how can I gain? How can I have? How can people know? What happens when Jesus flips your religion right side up. You get heavenly purpose and heavenly power. You get freedom from sin. You get acceptance by God. You get unconditional love. You find joy unspeakable and full of glory. You get unshakable peace, and you get a burning desire on the inside for right living. Has he flipped your religion right side up? Secondly, family. These leading men, these leading men probably didn't like it that their leading ladies were shaking up their homes. Their wife comes home, they got, she got saved. Maybe if she's not a widow, she was a, a rich woman. She got saved, and oh man, she's following this Paul guy. We don't go to the temple no more. We're not giving our money to Dionysus and the Apollos and all these other people. We're, we're not doing that no more. We're not going to the Greek gods. So we're not paying things to that. We're going to church now. This is what we're going to do with our money. And he's like, I don't think I like that. The men at the golf course won't like me too much if I don't do what they do. I'm not going to fit in at the club down the road. I'm not going to get along with people at work. They're going to think we're weird, we're fanatical. We don't get along with society. We're not a part of the social status quo. Come on, babe. I mean, we can't do that. We would be like, our family would think we're crazy. We would be the mock of the whole town. We're leading people. We've got a reputation to hear. And, and they, she says, but no, 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 but this was real. No doubt a kid came home from school or, or from, from hearing the revival message on the street and told his mom and dad, I know that we've all been shoemakers in our family, but I think I'm called to go to missions. What is missions? Who are you talking about? Who's this Jesus? I'm not going to stay on the family farm. I'm going with this guy named Paul. We don't do that in this family. We do this. This is what it means to be a Harris. This is what it means. You've got to do this. I expect you to go to college and get an education. I expect you to do that and this. He said, but Jesus is calling me. So they went to, when it was disrupting their family, they went to another family, Jason. The Bible says in Romans, Jason was a kinsman of Paul. And they began to shake up his family. See, there's a status quo of the family today, even in America. We can build our own little kingdom. I want a better house. I, I, I want to have a life for our kids. I want to build a vacation. I'm going to go on vacation. I want to have our time to be the, you know, the best life now. American dream, it idolizes work and entertainment. We get busy building up our own life. We want happy and fun and beautiful and wealthy. That's what we, we long for, and that's the idols of this country. But this is all upside down, because what is it, what is worshiping those idols of a busy, busy, beautiful, happy, joyful life made by your own hands? What does that actually produce? Look at this. Without Christ in America, what, what do we see? We've, families are falling prey to burnout division. We have outbursts of anger in our home. There's unforgiveness. Divorce is, is rampant. Abuse, addiction, depression, even loneliness when the family's too busy to have Jesus in the home. We have, we have an epidemic of, of identity crisis today like we've never seen before in the history of our country where people are questioning their gender identity and sexual identity. We have it at the highest courts of the land and to the most highest office of the land. We have all of these things and we have TV shows that say marriage is bad. It doesn't matter who you're with before you're married and you can do anything you want. 
outside of marriage. That's okay as long as you love somebody. We've got shows that make fun of husbands being the leaders. And male, uh, we went to a great revival just this week talking about how men are called to lead. That's a biblical thing. But in the world, it's like, man, you're nothing. They make fun of all the dads on every sitcom that there is. You think about that. It's putting down that men should lead and, and that God, the, the university, at every university in America, it's impossible that God has ever created the world. There is no God. It's all by random chance. You think that we've done anything. <laughs> I mean, we've removed him from every single sphere and attacked the family at every level of society. And every bondage that I just spoke has been passing down from generation to generation. Alcoholism from generation to generation. Anger from generation. Drugs from generation to generation. And when is it time for the church to flip it on its head and say, but this family, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Jesus flips the family script, though, because here's what happens with Jesus. Man has always elevated family over God without us even knowing it. We, we, and it's not bad to do any of those things. We love our families, and I believe your family should be one of the firsts in your life. But family is not the first. I'm, I, it's kind of a hard thing for Southern family-focused people to be hearing. But family is not first in life. God's first. God's first. Well, you can think family. You think, oh, yeah, yeah, God, yeah, sure. Bible, flag, gun, family. I mean, we get all of it, right? But is it? Is Jesus really first in your family? Because here's what Jesus says. And he said to another, follow me. He said, Lord, prevent me to first go bury my father. That's a reasonable request, right? And he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. To another, he said also, hey, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no, no. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And then later, verse in chapter 14, verse 26 says, And if one comes to me and he does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot, 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 cannot be my disciple. What does he mean there? It means you have to love God more than anybody else. You've got to love God more than you love yourself. You've got to love God more than you love your wife. Love God more than you love your kids. And if God says do something, even if your family doesn't like it, then you do what God says do. Young person, if you have unsaved uh, parents and you feel the call of God on your life to change your direction in life and your unsaved parents, while you're supposed to honor and love your father and mother, if God is calling you to go to missions and ministry, you better follow God. Woman, Husband, if your spouse is not saved, and although you're supposed to love your spouse and respect your spouse and honor and cherish your spouse till death do you part, if he or she calls you to do something that God does not approve of, you better follow God. It's quiet in here. God first, then family. God first, then family. I didn't say church first, then family. I didn't say denomination first, then family. I said God first, then family. I didn't say what the pastor said do then family. I said God first, then family. God wants to come before your personal wants and even your family wants. Well, our family wants to stay home today. What does God want you to do? Our family wants to do this and allocate our resources this way, but what does God want to do with your resources? Our family wants to allocate our time with ball and dance and cheer, and all that is wonderful. My kids do all that, but what does God want to do with your time, your talent, and your resources first, 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 you see, Christ makes a different family with a different blood. It's a better blood. It's, better, it's deeper, darker, better. 
than blood relationship. It's a spiritual family. Ephesians 2 says that you are all no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. You're all God's family. You're all God's household. And when families become a kingdom first family, here's what happens. Here's what happens. Listen to me, the benefits. The Holy Spirit will begin to teach your family. Children, obey your parents, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Wives, respect and, and honor your husbands, just like we do Christ to the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. You want a holy matrimony? Be putting God first in your life. If you want a holy relationship with your kids and kids that don't go into rebellion, rebellion put God first and pray together as a family. Teach your kids the Bible. The, the school's not going to do it. The ch we only get them for one hour or less once a week. We are not going to ever be sufficient to teach your kids memory verses. Let me just tell you, they watch TV all week long. They go to school all week long. They are on this little phone and this device all week long. They have far more influence what you do, mom and dad. Are you teaching your kids scripture? Do they know the books of the Bible? Can they quote John 3.16? I just did a little thing uh, not too long ago, and, and we went to do upward uh, soccer, and we love it. And I had those little kids, and I asked them, do they know John 3.16? And I was amazed that in Gina, Louisiana, how many eight-year-olds did not know John 3.16? Many of their parents went to church. Parents, is God first in your family? What happens when God comes in, this family becomes diverse. Kids will get to see that the church is made of every race and culture and creed. We have different values than the world. Our values are based on love and generosity and forgiveness. We have modesty in our family. We have chastity in our family. And in this family of faith, when they experience church family at its height and it's wonderful, uh, they have a family of faith that loves to do good for one another. I've seen the church family come for me and my family. Those people were there when my mom or dad got sick. I've seen people uh, give me food when I have to surgery. That family of faith is something beautiful. It's, you, you may or may not have good or worldly family, but it, how great it is it to have a godly family. Isn't it good to be a part of a spiritual family with blood of Jesus Christ? This family loves to gather and worship and pray. And when times get tough, we come into a place where everyone can prophesy and each person has a special and spiritual gift. When uh, we go through hard times, we have a spiritual family that we come into worship and we get reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us and there's a hope ever after. You're not going to always find happiness in this life, but when you're in a spiritual family, man, you've got someone there to pray for you, to fast for you, to give to you. It's good to know who you are in Christ in this spiritual family. Somebody say amen. amen. You may not have had the perfect dad or the perfect mom, but you do have the perfect father. And he had a perfect son. How does Jesus need to flip your family's world right side up? Mom and dad, are you guarding your children and what they're on social media? Are you praying with them every night before bed? Are you leading them in the way of righteousness for his namesake? Are you demonstrating what it means to be the family of God? Are you serving as the family of God? And lastly is this, society. See, they set their own city in an uproar. They began to illegally search Jason's home. They took him before these authorities and said, man, he's preaching against Caesar. They're preaching against the president of the United States. The FBI showed up and raided their house. No warrant was needed nowadays, right? They raided their house, took him before the courts and said, you've been preaching against the United States. You've been preaching against the president. You've been starting a mutiny. There's a, revol a revolt going on here. You're, you're one of those people, aren't you? It's the same thing they said to Jesus. He said, before Pilate, we found this man misleading our nation and forbid forbidding them to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that himself is a king. What did Jesus say? Yeah, but my kingdom's not of this world. 
See, there's a status quo in society, a status quo of how we do our economy, a status quo of how we view politics. It's this versus that. We live in a world that divides, that fights, that uh, undercuts, that's out there picketing, that's rioting in the street nowadays. We live in a world that's doing everything they can to make their own utopia, but yet it's crumbling all around them, and they don't, they have their ignorant to even realize how much it's crumbling all around them. Everything they're trying to build up by their own hands and rewrite God's law and rewrite the way God does times and seasons and dates. The, re, the way he, he wrote the code of life, they're rewriting what is good and bad and all the society around us is crumbling and they don't know why and they can put all the tax dollars and funds they want to it but you and I have a different society we are of a different place a different kingdom and when God's kingdom is not ruling this world it says love will grow cold lawlessness will will abound sexual immorality and debauchery begin to run rampant and Christ says but my kingdom is not of this world you see here's how it works for us in our society in our little world. You see, Christians live in this world, but not of it. We have a, we're told to obey authority, but we follow a higher authority, King Jesus. He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we're also rendering to God what is God's. What is God's, by the way, in your life? Render to God what is God's. What is, what are you rendering to God? He says, we're ambassadors of a different nation. We're here to reconcile people to God. See, we don't conquer through the poles because Jesus conquered through his cross. You see, we love and serve our country, but we pledge allegiance to a heavenly kingdom. For we're not citizens of this earth alone, but we're citizens of heaven. Somebody say, Amen. We don't fight with earthly money. We don't fight over earthly money because we live like we could die any day and we store up treasures in heaven. We don't argue and fight with our hands like people are doing in the street these days because the Bible says our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to throw, destroy divine strongholds. And while politicians are fighting across the aisle and, and again people fighting in the street, we're fighting against not people but forces, the Bible says, of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly Places. So, what happens when a heavenly kingdom invades an earthly society? It turns the world upside down. It flips it right side up. So, that's my question as we close. Just think, think with me this morning. Let's, I'm begging you. Are we kingdom ambassadors to LaSalle Parish, Louisiana? I know what religious status quo looks like here. I've been here 10 years, almost, almost 10 years. I know what, what family status quo looks like in the Bible Belt in Louisiana. I know what political, we're in this political season. I know that. It divides. It all, it's all bad, okay? There's no good in it. But what happens when we preach Jesus in our families, in our communities, it flips the world upside down. And people could look at us in this little church, in this little town, and say, man, those are the people. Those are the people who are shaking things up and changing the status quo because something real is in the middle of those people. Something real is in the middle of those people. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? You see, when kingdom citizens invade a community, they begin to fill in the gap. They don't wait on the world or the government to flip it upside down. They begin to tackle hunger and poverty, and homelessness, and fatherlessness, problems in education, discrimination, sex trafficking, drug rehabilitation, abortion, unplanned pregnancy, and more. What happens when the church begins to invade real-life problems? 
What happens when the church invades our schools? What happens when the church invades broken families? What happens when church invades the drug scene? What happens when churches invade the teenagers and their social media? What happens when a church begins to flip the world right side up? People find life. Crime goes down. Youth find purpose. Addicts find redemption. Children find life. Youth find identity. Church, we are not here to play games. We're not here to just go through a religious motion to hear some sermons, to have a few times a week we gather, to have some potlucks and eat some good food and just do good things. We are here to flip this community upside down for the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God. It starts with you and it starts with me. Right there in your heart, can you ask him this question? Lord, is there any area in my heart, any place you need to flip right side up? Father, in my family, in my family, Lord, is there anything you need to flip right side up? We got to have family prayer. We're going to start learning scripture. We're going to make it to church more often. We're going to order our time. My kids are going to know the kingdom of God is the first thing to sell out for. We've been fighting in our marriage, but we're going to start praying together. We're going to start loving one another like Jesus loves us. Maybe it's getting involved in our community. How, how are you and I affecting the world around us? Are we serving? Are we so busy in our own little worlds that we've got no time to get into community with a lost and dying world? What's God saying to you? Is there some area, something God wants you to do to flip your workplace upside down, to flip that extended family upside down, to get into a place in this community? Maybe God's given you a heart for young people. Maybe he's given you a heart for people going through addiction. Maybe he's given you a heart for young ladies needing help with a, uh, a pregnancy that was unplanned. Maybe it's something that God would call you and say, this is what God's called me to do. I'm here to flip this part of the world upside down. This is, this is real life. This is what you are made for, church. God's power, this is not a religion thing. It's when God's power comes in man. When God's power comes in man, it's not man doing it, but it's God doing it. Would you allow this morning God to begin to flip your world upside down so that you can flip this world right side up? It starts with you and me. God, I want to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Father, I pray over every man, woman, boy.